two, one. Yo-yo market on Tuesday. Looks like a wild Wednesday. We got a lot of earnings to talk about. We'll get a fundamental and technical perspective from Craig Johnson, everyone's favorite analyst over at Piper Stanley. Piper Stanley. Piper Sandler. It's Wednesday. It's pre-market prep. Let's get it started. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, investors, let's take a look at the market. We're starting out in the red again, down 17 and a quarter handles, peaked right off that 6 p.m. open, 43.8450. We're starting to bunch up here a little bit. Let's a little consolidation. The buck is flat at 106.04. The bonds are up 6.30 seconds. That's a good thing. Tight range. Uh, crude popping up a buck 78 here, 87.22. That's helping the oil stocks. Gold taking another leap forward towards 2K. Once again, up 2380, 1951.50. Silver working its way through the 23 handle, up 40 cents at 2343. Bitcoin futures, they're down $175 at 28,475. Consolidating after that big move. Well, uh, let's bring in. Uh, Denny here, Triple D, whatever you want to call him. I just, I look at that haircut, man, and it's like, I, it's like I, I don't recognize you. I mean, They're all upset at the haircut. The shaved, clean cut. They're like, who is this guy? Bring back Triple D with his crazy hair and beard. You probably yes, even took not a liking shower. It. You They're not liking it. it. You want me to grow my hair back out, chat? Put a one for grow it out. Put a two for keep a clean cut. We'll do that. We're voting right off the bat is too early for votes, though. So maybe well, I, I talked to you. I talked to you midday yesterday, and I said, yeah. "Man, turnaround Tuesday. They brought this market back up, and you're just like fade, 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 fade everything." I step away. I grab some lunch, and I come back, and we are fading, man. We're in a range, yeah. a big mm -hmm. old range. I'm looking at the S and P's bunching up here. What's going to take us out of this race? Look at that consolidation station. The upper right-hand chart can't bust through 43.50 and can't bust above 44.30. I mean, this is what we've been. We've not only been in this range for like the last five or six days, but we've been range-bound on the S&P for two years. On the IWM, we've been in a downtrend, but range-bound really for two years as well. You go out to the IWM, 164, 165 support, 198, 199 resistance. I mean, sideways for the win. So if you're writing premium, you're doing pretty good. If you're playing contrarian strategies, which is buying the dip and selling the rip, you're doing pretty good. If you're buying hold, you're pretty much doing nothing. But if you're chasing moves, you're uh -huh. getting chopped up and losing money. So when you're going sideways, you got to adjust strategies and looking to buy the breakouts or sell the breakdowns. It's not working, folks. It's not strategies here right now. 
what has been working for this past two years is fading everything. Yeah, just going, you know, even the S, I mean, the Qs are a different story, right? The Qs are the Qs. But if you look at the, at like two months, if you look exactly back two years uh, on the Qs, you go back to October, uh, you settled at, uh, you're a little bit lower. You were at uh, 386.11, you're at 366, right? Uh, if you do the same example, we'll go to the S&P cash here. This is uh, two years ago. The end of, uh, uh, go back to 2021, we were a little bit higher at the end of October. But, uh, you know, just uh, just in a range. We have spent more time really in the lower quadrant, though, if I'm looking at this monthly chart um, in the cash. But trying to build a base here at a really an elevated sure. level. And I, I, I don't know if Aaron's going to do it. Speaking of earnings, let's bring in Mitch. Good morning, Mitch. How you doing? Money Mitch is in the background getting everything all set up here and trying to bring himself going forward here. Or maybe he went for a quick bathroom break. He's there. He's always there. We're having trouble bringing him in here, though. But Money Mitch is trying to come in. Some little technical difficulties over there. So we'll keep going. Money Mitch, you're welcome at any time. All right. There I'm sorry is. about that. Uh, Hendricks tried to rug pull me today. So um, he was uh -oh. keys and uh, my, my computer was going crazy. I was trying to get on there, uh, but we're good. Is this no the dog? Pull. No, the cat. I, I oh, have a cat. zoo over here. Um, the cat the cat pulled your plug yeah he's a rock star so he doesn't like the mornings so you, you know how it is it's yeah. hendrix jimmy hendrix so he pulled out your plug and he couldn't get back on you're like ah oh, hendrix you shot my computer off hendrix what are you doing it's cool well, man. Uh, cat, though. Oh. Hey. it seems like we're all having um animal problems this morning here uh, <laughs> what's your problem Oh, 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 oh man, the, the, the old uh, uh, the, the chat, the chat's not gonna like this, and I won't go into details, okay? Uh, but I got up at uh, five to go swimming, right? And I'm like, smelled something, really wasn't sure what it was, but I didn't see anything. I stepped out to go downstairs, and no. you talk about stepping in. No, yeah, Perry, Perry, yeah. Perry, it Perry's is, getting yeah. older and sometimes know, forgets where the where where yeah. where to go. You're supposed to go outside, Perry. I know. So I only got two thousand yards in this morning because I got to the gym late. Because usually I let Lisa clean it up, uh, but uh, I felt so bad this <laughs> the, morning. The, like, the okay, real question: Did you say swimming? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, uh, you don't want to get in Joel the pool swims, with Joel man. if you don't know about it. You don't want to get will in the not pool with Joel. with Joel. He is a swimmer. <laughs> He's I'm waiting to hear that Joel's going to cross the Atlantic, but no, we'll I don't like the stock no, market no, today. No, open water, English Channel. Uh-uh, no way. You can't sharks. jump off the bottom of the pool. Sharks. You, you can't. You can't. Yeah, starts and turns. You, you know, you can't. Don't worry. The we'll we'll give you an AI chip. You'll be all right out there. No, Joel. no. Uh, no, not no, 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 no way. All right, uh, let's, let's kick go. it let's off, go. guys. We're gonna go first to just a headline, then we'll go through all the earnings. A lot to talk about today. Microsoft is preparing to bring Amazon as a customer to its 365 cloud tools in a one billion dollar mega deal, according to an internal document. This came from Insider uh, Business Business Insider. Um, what do you guys think about this deal? Do you think this is uh, a good rumor? This is real? Is this just smoke? Mm, so business insider um is we'll just say they're not the wall street journal i'll just say that i'll leave it at that second though is up four bucks on this headline because they may get a billion dollar contract from amazon 
You know what the revenue? Go into your Benzinga details and give this some perspective. How much is it? Just give us a number here again. Is it a billion dollars they're talking about worth of revenue? Yeah, one billion. One billion. So the revenue for, and I'm just grabbing the revenue from the most recent report here, looks like $56 billion. So, I mean, I don't know if that's quarterly. I'm just grabbing the numbers here. But anyways, $56 billion, $1 billion. It's a drop in the bucket, folks. So they were tacking on 2% market cap almost on this thing, 1.5% market cap on this thing last night. That was a fade. I tweeted it was a fade. I gave you a level of 336. It didn't quite get there last yeah, night. Yep, I saw yep. 335.80, but that You're was a right. fade. That was a fade. I was like, if there's ever a fade, that's a fade. It's down almost three bucks, well, two and a half bucks from where it was last night. Yep, you're just looking at the two-day high. That's all you needed to pay attention to, except you would have got a big nothing done because uh, that two-day high was 336.14. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's green in a red market. I guess that's a good thing. Yesterday's yep. high, you still got to make quick work of yesterday's high, folks, at uh, 33.46. You've already traded through it. But uh, we'll see what happens in the regular session. And here's another headline that actually broke. So I don't get this because um, at, at 8 o'clock, right before we started the show here, Money Mitch, there's a headline breaking that IBM is expanding their relationship with Amazon as well. And I believe this is actually a press release, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just trying to look at it here. Um, so Money Mitch, I mean, Microsoft gets a $4 pop. You know, because they may bring on Amazon as a client. IBM comes out with a PR talking about bringing generative AI to Amazon. And it doesn't even move a tick. I mean, what's with that? Is this not the same type of headline? Like, if it's worth 1.5% to Microsoft and all this share volume, why is it not even worth a tick to IBM? Are the bots just that slow or completely different headlines? So you can read it here. It's from mm -hmm. Reuters, actually. IBM expands their relationship with AWS to bring generative AI solutions and dedicated expertise to clients. Sure, sounds similar to the Microsoft headline that it popped four bucks on. IBM, not getting any love at all. IBM is IBM. Is that what it is? They just don't give love to IBM. They just hate IBM. It doesn't matter if IBM comes out with generative AI solutions for Amazon because it's IBM. That's what you're telling me. I mean, it's on a nice little technical pullback here, at least. I did buy an IBM back. I did. The, I sold the monthly six. I was like, I could regain in that thing. A nice key reversal yesterday, too. Yeah, Sleepy headline. They're not even paying attention to that. I don't know if it's going to move off it. I have no position in it. Thought about buying it. And I was like, man, eh, nobody else is buying it. So it doesn't look like it looked like it's a nothing burger. I like it if it can hold 135 now. Uh, just the chart itself. If I just stick to technicals and don't think about it being actually IBM, uh, maybe one day they can turn things around. I have seen more commercials for Watson AI, just to kind of mention that, Dennis. So it looks yeah. like they're trying to bring some, yeah. you know, uh, it's like, you guys remember, we have Watson, right? <laughs> it, that's how it feels like the commercials are, but yeah. hey, we'll see what happens there. IBM, can they get things going? I think it, when we talk about AI now, it's no longer about products. It's no longer about partnerships. It's actually about the numbers that matter. Just keep an eye on IBM because you never know. It could get some love from this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe Intel is strong. I, I mean, Intel is not the worst looking chart either. It's been hanging out here. Well, Intel has been that? looking better. 
and it's hanging and, out and obviously old school tech we talked about this a few weeks ago starting to have its day now everything has sold off really in the last month so it's hard or, or the last you know it sold off in september rallied early october but you know the cisco not far from 52 week highs intel not super far from 52 week highs although both those stocks significantly off their all-time highs back, set yep. back in like 20 2000 or 2001 never got back there again so I don't know. I got a place for IBM in my heart. I don't know why. I've had a couple of good trades on it before. I think I've had some bad trades on it too. I mean, I have good trades, bad trades, but I feel like I'm kind of with you, Money Mitch. I don't mind this, you know, a little bit of pullback here on IBM. I don't know if I'm getting a shot at 135 here again, but I kind of like it. 50%, man, that comes in. I think I got those lines almost perfect here. And you're, you've come back. You've given 136.33. If you don't think technicals work, then 136.31 was the low yesterday also filled a minor gap uh that you had back in july so technicals ruling the day in ibm i looked at the cisco kid i, I remember i i have this i have this long term i don't know what exact price i own it i know i've owned it for a long time and it got hit on that acquisition and i almost like I wanted to talk to the investment committee about, you know, selling it, but <laughs> so you, far <laughs> the, uh, well, that's a, that's a, that's a four letter word. Um, but it held, it held. L I S A. No, sell is a four. The four oh, sell. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought you meant the Yeah, that's, that, that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. All right. We've got so Stanley. much. From Money Mitch. Morgan Stanley. EPS yeah, here. Dollar thirty-eight beats the dollar twenty-two estimate. Sales of thirteen point two seven billion beat the twelve point five eight billion estimate. Morgan Stanley's Q three provision for credit loss at one hundred and thirty-four million, up from thirty-five million year over year. Might be telling us something there. Morgan Stanley Q3 investment banking revenues down 27% year over year. Mm -hmm. And not only the Morgan price action, but take a look how Goldman Sachs traded after their earnings. Oh, I know. I Just know. Kind of this was really my mention choppy. on live trading. I don't know how I didn't nail that Goldman Sachs, but it went. So yesterday's price action opened up near the highs around 315, immediately tanks to 308, goes back to three, almost 315. Then sells off all the way down to 306, then rallies up to 309. Chop, chop, chop. This is this market. Fading everything continues to work. I'm with the fade everything crowd, meaning buy dips, shorten rips, and going sideways. Uh, 316. Uh, we gave you that number in the pre market, and I can't believe you got a shot at it in the regular session. But you did. That was a good level on the downside. Uh, we talked about the 308 level. It did test that. Morgan Stanley, the moment of truth has arrived for Morgan Stanley mm -hmm. here. You have a pair of lows at 77.30 area. You haven't hit it yet in the pre-market. The bulls absolutely the have bulls. to defend that level. It, it don't get too faked out because if they take you through it, like down to 77.10 or something, and then they... They flip it up and take it back and through there, but that's a good level. Uh, keep an eye on that. 77.30 for Morgan Stanley. Big level to watch there. How, what stars is that? What what level? We talk about stars. I'll How many stars? Star. Three. Three. Okay. Star. Three. Okay. Yeah. When you hear Three those star. like 10 star levels, that's where you're. Yeah, really that, that's what I was wondering. Again, no. I was wondering yeah. too, Dennis. I was like, is this a five star or over? No, three no, stars. No, really. I, I'll tell you right now. This, this, <laughs> uh, this, uh, this 316 in Goldman Sachs. 
that, that, that's a five that's a five star hey I mean, you guys take you note we'll see what yeah, happens there right on those levels yeah. let's get to united airlines holdings i'm really oh, looking Caroline. into this space yeah. because man, oh, man, i'm starting oh, to see yesterday we talked a little bit about retail leisure had a really good day yesterday united airlines holdings q3 adjusted eps three dollars and 65 cents beats the three dollars and 39 cent estimate total operating revenues at 14.48 billion beat the 14.44 billion estimate they do see q4 adjusted eps assuming tlv flight suspension in october only at a dollar 80 um so do you guys know a little bit more about that tlv flight no. suspension no i don't know anything about that and i don't care to know anything about that what i do know is holy mackerel these companies still thing. make a lot of money the the val these might be like when you look a value trap in your financial dictionary here this might be the stock UAL and Delta because holy mackerel the value feels like it's just like oh my god how do you go wrong they just made three sixty five in the quarter the stock's trading at thirty seven dollars if they only had one quarter a year the thing's trading at a PE of ten if you bring that out the PE is like three I mean obviously they feel like the earnings are going to fall off a cliff. You know, there's no doubt that the market is pricing and earnings decline of massive epic proportions for all of these airlines. And the guidance is not helping because they're saying the EPS could be as low as a dollar fifty. I mean, they're making three thirty-nine this, now they're probably making a buck fifty next quarter. So you start going, you're like, ooh, the is jumping up slowly. But I mean, still, even they make a buck fifty times four or six bucks, you know, the things trade in PE of seven. These things making a lot of money, but it doesn't matter. The market absolutely hates them right now. They are inversely correlated perfectly with oil. As oil goes up, UAL and the airlines continue to go down. They absolutely hate the airlines. I don't know what turns the narrative around here, Joel. Like, it's all momentum. It's all sentiment. People are just like, recession is coming. Nobody's ever going to fly again. I mean, part of me thinks like, okay. You want to like be a contrarian? You know, these yeah. things are dirt cheap and you're getting back near. Find me a 10-star level in UAL. Oh, man. Well, it takes a while to develop the 10-star level. But I think I, – I don't know if you guys gave the airport code. If that's for Israel, they've uh, – that was a big part. Chris Theodore making an excellent point. Uh, UAL, a lot of flights uh, to uh, uh, Ben-Gurion Airport there. And, and that, that's not going to be happening for a while. Uh, also, the double whammy of uh, higher oil prices. I cannot – I mean, if you want a 10-star – um, I'd have to go down like to, to 3170, but that's not coming into play today. Uh, you'd have to go a little, you got two 37 has potential to be it. Like if I was short and this thing came into 37, I'd throw a bit out there just to see if I got whacked. And then if they hit it again, I'd put more at 36 and a half. You know, more size. They whack that. I'd hit it at thirty-six with the you know if I wanted to cover a big short or attempt along. But thirty-seven is not a bad number. We'll keep an eye on that for a couple of days. But man, you're just—I don't know. You might be better off. I tried to do a trend line here and it didn't work. But if you draw a trend line, looks like uh, Mount yeah. Everest here off fifty-eight, touching the fifty-fours. Touch the 51s, and then yeah. you just take that puppy all the way down. Almost got to wait till it gets above that trend yeah, line. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, so, catching the falling knife is not working. Believe me, I know I tried to catch the falling knife in American Airlines, and I've been stabbed again and again and again. So, I mean, this is just, 
you know, I don't know what turns the airlines around. If oil prices obviously start to decline, that probably starts it. But if I was short, I would have covered long ago just because of the valuation. But yeah. again, you know, if we go into a recession, it's not, you know, cyclical earnings. You know, airlines are very, very cyclical. So, you know, if you get labor disputes and, you know, increasing labor costs in there too, that can be, you know, problems as well. But oh, I'm just yeah. like, wow, I'm, I'm flabbergasted at the quarter that the airlines have had. A lot of them were down 30% the last quarter and they were coming off record earnings and the earnings are still pretty darn good. 34 is looking okay in Delta. I can't give you anything um, on the monthlies here yet, but, you know, the big boys maybe, you know, stepping up at 34 here after trading 50. This was the last earnings. I think I'm never going to forget this earnings report. This was uh, when it traded, actually, it traded over 50 in the pre-market on that day on July 13th. No can do in the regular session. Opened 49.75 on that day, 49.81 high. Made a reattempt at it, but 30, 34 is is doing okay. It's, it's looking okay here today for at least for Delta. All right, you feel so, like you could get some seller exhaustion in these. That's exactly what too. I was trying to come in with, is Dennis. Uh, so I'm I'm going to say that this is downside capitulation, um, seasonality coming into play here too. Look at the daily charts. Look in the last two years. You see clearly an example of what tapering off between June to September, then October in the last two years have driven the stock higher. And so that's what I'm going to be looking at to start coming in here a little bit later seasonality coming into play mid-October to December. I could see these stocks getting a little bit of a lift. I've been talking about how retail is getting that seasonality coming into play. I'm going to be keep watching these on my radar, especially for uh, kind of downside capitulation on a day like today. And one thing that I wanted to note that was in their earnings, I don't know who pumps their gas, but man, that $2.95 was their average price per gallon. That wasn't my average price for a gallon when I went to the <laughs> to, to pump gas, man. They're getting a good deal there at underneath three bucks a gallon. So um, I don't think it's gas that's affecting these companies. I also think that, like we mentioned, uh, those flights to Israel, about 50% of those scheduled Ooh. flights didn't operate. And so I think that Here's that's also affecting the outlook right now. Here's the deal, though, is that none of this is really affecting the companies that bad because they're still making a lot of money. Yeah. It's just investor expectations are for earnings to fall off a cliff. And, you know, they may be right. But think about, like, I like your, you know, capitula downside capitulation call here, too. Because let's use a stock in a completely different industry that did the, you know, throw the, you know, just, you know, um, throw it all out. Pfizer. Remember Pfizer? That yeah, came I was thinking COVID, about that, too. Yep. And the stock goes down 10% Friday night. Pfizer. One of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world falls 10% Friday night down to like 2940. You won't see it on the chart, but it is there. You see it on the bottom it left is. chart because it it's tracks right free market action. But it, the low, you're yeah. like, what are you talking about? It hit there Friday night, $29.40, where they're like, okay, well, this is over. The COVID shots are over. We knew that already. A lot of that was priced in. And look what happens. They come around and the stock turns it around. Obviously, an upgrade helped it as well. But, I mean, it did not make a new low, actually, even on the move in the regular session. So you wonder if, you know, this is just, you know, the same thing where you get that downside seller exhaustion. Now, Pfizer, I'm not saying it's out of the woods, and I am long Pfizer. I don't think it's out of the woods no. by any means. But that was a big reversal there. So could UAL potentially reverse? I think it's possible. 
Um, I just want to go back here to the Delta, just uh, alluding to uh, a good point that Mitch made. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, you don't have volume on your charts. You don't pay attention to volume. I do pay attention to volume at certain times. And uh, on the big earnings day, it traded 30 million, right? And that was a big volume day. That's pretty nice. Next day, you know, 14.4 million. So people are still, still higher than average volume. So people are still puking their guts out. And now the last two days, the volume's been lower. So to me, it says, you know, maybe some bottom fissures in here, or as Mitch said, seller exhaustion here. Now what you want to see is you want to see an up day, a big up day. On you want to see a volume. reversal. Yeah, yep. So that's no sense at. coming in here and being a hero and buying it at thirty-seven ninety. But if for whatever reason UAL can start turning around, let's say it reclaims the low of the move thirty-eight fifty-five, then it starts to get a little bit interesting. And you know, I think there is that potential for seller exhaustion here. So I don't think the quarter was that bad. I would not be shorting it down here. I'll say that. Okay, that's good. That's a good point. ASML Holdings Q3 oh. EPS at $5.24 beats the $5 estimate. Sales of $7.26 billion missed the $7.49 billion estimate. And then given on the call, the semiconductor industry is currently working through the bottom of the cycle. And our customers expect this inflection point to be visible by the end of the year. This came from ASML's CEO also stated that we therefore expect 2024 to be a transition year added that the company is taking more of a conservative view for 2024 and expects revenue numbers similar to 2023. Never want to hear conservative view and all this other stuff, especially, and let's just go to the details here on your trusty Benzinga pro. PE 26, uh, current PE is 30, forward PE is 26, but you never want to hear conservative. You never want to hear a conservative view. I don't like that commentary because this thing trades kind of still nosebleed valuation. So that's one consideration here. Do, do they turn around and buy the dip? I mean, this is a stock that a lot of people want to own. They may. I don't know. I'd look at yesterday's low, first of all, 586. Let's see what it does there. Yeah, it's a ways away, uh, yeah, even from yesterday's low. So that's a good level. Um, after that, uh, I mean, flanking, it just doesn't feel like it has the jets to get down to the 580 level. Uh, the one concerning thing is here is that, you know, you had the big decline uh, off the 22 high and you, you came up uh, well shy of that. Maybe developing a little head and shoulders here. You got a left shoulder, you got a head, maybe developing a little bit of a right shoulder. You asked for like a 10 star level and I just look at, I looked at uh, AVGL. Look at this monthly. I don't know if you're going to get another look at uh, anything over 900 there, but look at four of the last six months. This thing's topped out at the 920, like 924. That That's a monthly, folks. That's not a daily. That's a that is some major resistance up on AVGO. The 920 is just enormous for that stock. And a lot of times you see turns off things like that, you know, like the sellers. They just can't know. get through it. They tried yeah. once, twice, three times. And in this AVGO case, they basically tried one, two, three, four, at least five times. And if you count, you know, recently up to the 915, six or seven times here. And, you know, when you find a level, we always say there's no such thing as a triple top. But when you get the triple top in there, then it can be a quad. What's five? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten tops. I mean, there's opportunities off those levels. You get those 10-star Joel Alcon levels, 
You got to respect them. Yeah, I would be watching to see if it comes back towards the 850s. If it breaks that, you got to go, right? Uh, let's get to Procter & Gamble. Last one before we get to our guest. We got a great guest for you guys today. Craig Johnson waiting in the background. Guys, smash the like for that. Procter & Gamble, Q1 adjusted EPS at $1.83 beats the $1.71 estimate. Sales of $21.87 billion beat the $21.67 billion estimate. PG reiterated fiscal year 24 adjusted EPS guidance of $6.25 to $6.43 on the high end versus the consensus here of $6.00. And 38 cents. They also see revenue growth to two to four percent year over year. PG is is this finally going to get a little love, man? Uh, I'll tell you, or I'm just sideways stock. action. So, so I'm short the stock. I know this is exact same trade as Johnson and Johnson yesterday. It's the same setup. It's the identical trade where I think consumer staples are out of favor. Johnson and Johnson gets the pop up three dollars on it and then gives it all back. I feel like PG sets up the same way. It's up three dollars. One fifty is a huge level. So I'm short stock. Plan on covering. Obviously, I will cover it today, win or loss. But I feel like there's a chance for this to pull back. Uh yeah, one fifty. This is a big move for PG. I'm not really not going to take add too much on that. One psychological. One forty. One forty nine seventy was a high. Paper probably stacking up at one forty nine fifty here. You got to. You got 148,000 shares of traded, which is not bad volume for the pre-market. But with settling at 46.26, you got to absorb the paper at 47, 47 and a half, 48, 48 and a half, and 49. This thing might not even open over 149. Who's buying this up 282? Well, we'll find out off the open. Not me. Maybe we can sneak one more in here. Elvian's Health, Q3 adjusted EPS, $8.99, beats the $8.45 estimate. Sales of $42.85 billion, beat the $42.53 billion estimate. Fiscal year adjusted EPS to be greater than $33 versus prior guidance of over $32.85 and a consensus of $32.93. ELV, what do you guys think about this one? This one I like when it gets going. Um, it has a tendency of like kind of trending. Let's see if this can actually start getting a trend back towards maybe 500. What what happened like two days ago? UNH? And the stock think... and ELV, if we look at two days ago, the stock opened I've... down like 12, 13, opened down 13 points and then just rallied straight 25 points. I have no idea what the headline is. I didn't. I missed that headline, so I don't know what that was. But something happened two days ago. That's a crazy key reversal there. Um, now you catch people short, but you know, then you got also this ten star four eighty level coming here, Joe. <laughs> yeah, stealing yeah, it from yeah. you because four eighty yeah. is absolutely enormous on this thing. I don't know where it's traded to pre market, but I tell you, four eighty is huge. Yeah, four seventy three and a half at eighty one thousand five hundred shares of trade, not bad volume. Dennis is talking about this was support. Then you broke down through it, came all the way back of it. June failed miserably, bottomed in July, came up there, failed again, and now you got people to be like, "Oh, those orders are still out there." I do see some uh, intermediate resistance ahead of that. 
That comes in at the 477.50 area. Don't, not even sure if you're going to get to that. But was that the, Mitch, was that the day UNH had earnings? I don't know why that thing opened down. You know what? That was probably just some stupid order. I got you. I got you. So I think this was after hours Friday action. Alvine's Health uh, CMS released its 24 star ratings for Medicare Advantage and Medicare Medicare Part D prescription drug plans. Um, The Medicare news moves those stocks. uh, Yeah, these definitely moves these stocks. We've seen this hit before. Huge moves off that. Bigger than earnings sometimes the Medicare news. So that was it was, and it came in Friday overnight. Yeah. It ended up hitting it on Monday morning. So that's why you see it on Monday. I but really, it. the news came in Friday uh, in after hours. That's why we pay money, Mitch, the big box. Hey, got to do the research, right? Fact checks. And you, you like guys that. always, the chat always keeps us honest too. So don't forget, you guys can definitely drop in there and let us know what you guys see or what the catalyst may have been let's get to our guest today this is going to be a great one like always smash the like team let's get to the action craig johnson cfa cmt managing director over at piper sandler chief market technicians you got a lot of titles there craig how you doing today you know, all those titles in a nickel, I might be able to get a cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one that my dad, that's what my dad used to say. That was an old saying from my dad. So I, I know you do a lot of chart work, mm-hmm. and I know you do a lot of fundamental analysis, and you have to, but, you know, some things happen that aren't in the textbooks. And we have a geopolitical situation going on right now. Right. And it affects the markets. I mean, you could do, I've looked at some war statistics and, um, you know, it's been good for some economies over the course of time. This one feels a little bit different to me, but uh, how do you put this, this geopolitical, how, how does it affect your analysis or does it not affect it at all? Well, first and foremost, we spend 90% of our time just thinking about the technicals and the charts and what they're telling us. And the way that I'm looking at this market, just sort of stepping back, If I told you, Joel, that you had a war in Ukraine, you've now got a very unfortunate and sad war uh, happening in the Middle East. If if I told you we didn't have a speaker to the House, if I told you that you had 10-year bond yields that have gone from 50 basis points to 480 and change over the last uh, 24 months, um, if I told you any of those facts, you'd probably say, oh, my God, the market should be lower at this point in time. But this is sort of a Teflon tape right now, meaning Mm. that a lot of this bad news doesn't seem to be pulling the tape down. I think that's kind of a constructive sign. Not to forget to add into this, we've got an inverted yield curve too, which historically in the past has led to some form of a recession. But all these things together, the market, all things considered, the market is holding up really well, despite all these headwinds out here. So all these geopolitical concerns, Joel, you mentioned, the market's holding up pretty well. What, how should we view that? I think you got to view that as a positive sign, not a negative sign for this market. I I have to agree with you. And I, I was gonna uh, I was gonna ask another guest, like if you were at a, a time capsule and you just stepped out today and you said, "Oh, did you hear what you know? You did you hear what's going on in Ukraine? You hear what's going on in Israel? Did you did you see the bonds? Did you see the TLT? I mean, you'd be like, oh boy, did four thousand hold in the S and P? And here we are." <laughs> 
Yeah, right at there. So let's let's talk about let, let's look forward here. Q3 earnings season come out. Uh, you know, is upon us. Uh, some beats, some misses. We haven't heard from the big boys yet. Uh, just give us a, a broad outlook here at Q3 earnings season. Yeah. So if you just again step back and sort of look at the consensus numbers for the earnings season so far, um, you know, the numbers are sort of coming in okay. I wouldn't say that they're horrible. I wouldn't say that they're 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 massive, but a lot of the financials are have been coming in pretty well. Whether it was Citigroup, whether it was Bank America, uh, some of those numbers have been pretty decent. As long as these financial stocks can hold up and do well, I'm encouraged about this market and the fact that they're at least going sideways. We're not seeing a divergence. If we're seeing a divergence, totally different story. When the financials don't work, uh, that's a pretty big headwind for the market. But right now, the financials are for the most part, sort of neutral hanging in there. Even a stock like Goldman is just kind of going sideways in here right now, which I think is a, a good sign. But Joel, step back and think about the big picture. We're pretty much through 2023. Most analysts are saying, hey, let's think about what 2024 earnings look like. And at this point in time, you're sort of looking at low double digit earnings growth for either the 500, the 400, or even the 600 at this point in time. So we're talking about a market where you're trading about a median multiple, low double digit earnings growth for next year. Doesn't feel terrible to me from a bigger picture setup perspective. Greg, what about, you know, just the sector rotation that we have seen all year? And there are a number of sectors that just get no love whatsoever. And even some companies in specific sectors getting no love. I mean, we know the Magnificent Seven has been driving the bus. But, you know, you look at the IWM, and I've been talking about this. I mean, we are near 52-week lows here on the IWM. There's 2,000 companies in that. So it's kind of the tale of two markets. I mean, we can look at this market, and it's hard to paint a broad brush over it because there are sectors that have just been hammered. I mean, the airlines, we were just talking about them with UAL earnings. Here's a, here's a sector that's actually performing on the fundamentals. The numbers are pretty decent, yet they just continue to punish these stocks. What turns around the value stocks? Because it's really been the value stocks that have really been hit. Well, here are a couple of questions in there, you know, Dennis. And first and foremost, let's talk about the IWM as an example. If we break apart the IWM, the biggest drivers inside of the IWM or the Russell 2000 is going to be financials. It's also going to be industrials and it's going to be healthcare. And right now, if you think about financials, you have an inverted yield curve. So that's creating the headwind at this point in time for the financials to a degree. This You also had this uh, sort of mini bank crisis in uh, March that has been solved by the Fed backstopping the paper at these banks. Uh, but also you have the healthcare sector. All these GLP ones, everybody thinks this is going to be the savior for everybody. For the And so you're seeing sell-offs across the board in a very wide uh, ranging way for the healthcare sector whether it's going to be the uh, 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 cardio stocks, whether it's going to be things like Inspire for sleep apnea and some of these other pieces. I think there's a lot of this dislocation that's taking place in that. And that's what's sort of holding back the average stock at this point in time, Dennis. So what is it going to take for some of these uh, other parts of the market to work? I think what it's going to take is sort of hearing the message from the Fed that, hey, we're kind of sort of closer to done than not. Yeah, we may stay here at a higher level, but keep in mind that when you go from that last hike to that first cut, it usually takes about 8.2 months. And the market usually moves up almost 13% uh, 
uh, between that last hike to first cut. That's what I think will ultimately get this market working and the average stock working. And I think that'll help the growth stocks more than the value stocks, which was kind of, you know, the the question that you were sort of leading yeah. in here, Dennis. So you'd still stick with the growth stocks over the value stocks at this point in time. Don't get caught in the value traps. Well, if I can show my screen quick, is that please, okay? Yes, please. By all means, Craig. All right, so that's, uh, let's see here, present. Present, and then you got screen or Windows options. Perfect. We'll get that rolling here. uh, Windows. And then uh, I'll I'll at least give you another queue up question as you get that ready here, Craig. So, uh, of course, I've been studying a little bit more and more about intermarket analysis. Um, In my book club, we're reading uh, Intermarket Analysis, Profit for Global Market Relationship by John Murphy. And I think that, you know, being a CMT, you know all about this. I'm right now, a lot of people are focusing on the bonds action and the relationship between the equity market. What are you seeing there? I'll let you start getting to it. Here's your screen. Take control. All right. So first on your question, if your book club, that is an absolute fantastic book to read. John has done a great job with that intermarket analysis piece. And I would say kudos for you for reading it. I think that's one of the more uh, uh, definitive works out there thinking about the intermarkets. Now, let me come back to these charts real quick. You know, looking at the Russell 2000 from Dennis's question, guys, what's the risk reward here? We've already smashed the Russell 2000 from a level of 2007 back to a huge area of support right here. You got even more support below, but take a look at the quick cue that's happening here. We're starting to see a divergence. Price is going down relative is starting to improve. Let's take it one step further and look at the mid cap. Shorter term, you've got an inverted head and shoulders pattern happening here. And you've Mm -hmm. now got the mid cap index back at the midpoint in terms of an RSI in here. That looks like trend is starting to change. You could be setting yourself up for a trade back up to the 200 day, which would be 25.51, sort of at minimum. Um, But again, I'm encouraged by starting to see some of those pieces happening. Take it one step further and also think about, um, you know, the S&P equally weighted index. You know, Dennis, at the point in time that the average stock hasn't performed, look at this divergence again happening. This is classic technical analysis 101 that you're getting price and still in a downtrend, but the relative performance is starting to improve. That is all the sort of indications of potentially a trend change in the making. And if you think about that, with what we had talked about in terms of 10-year bond yields, also with what the Fed is doing. Take a look at the chart of 10-year bond yields here. Look at the classic divergence here between you're at the upper end of the channel, can't push through this. I think you guys were talking about triple tops earlier before I jumped on, but <laughs> wouldn't you look at that as sort of a triple top in the making yeah. and your divergence here with the relative strength too? Well, so you're telling me you're not in the Rick Santelli fan club of 13% long-term <laughs> rates here. I don't know if you caught that. Rick Santelli was on CNBC <laughs> saying his technical analysis is long-term rates are eventually going to 13%. Me and Joel said the SP is going under 3,000 if we go to 13% <laughs> rates. What's Craig Johnson's longer-term outlook here on yields then? Long-term well, yields. I mean, the longer-term outlook is, uh, and I, I apologize, I don't have this queued up, but the longer-term outlook is simplistically this. Um, if you go back and you study Uh, the period of 1981 to about 1984, you'll notice that that is when you saw rates peak in 1981. You then had a big drop. You broke the uptrend that had been intact for 30 years before that, had this relief rally back the other direction, made a higher low, 
But guys, that took years to play out. We're doing the mere opposite of that right now. We were in a 40-year downtrend for rates. We then moved up, reversed the downtrend in 22, accelerated up. There's going to be a pullback that's going to come into play here that probably takes the 10-year bond yield uh, probably to 350 or below uh, sometime in the next, call it six to nine months in my viewpoint. Okay. Now that's a big call, but I've made crazier calls in my life. Okay. (laughs) The markets would like that. Stock market would like that. Oh, we'd be at five. We'd be love at it. six thousand. I mean, if there's the market's like the that, market's I mean. going to absolutely love that. And again, that lines up with the Fed sort of being done too, right? From what I had said earlier, when you go back and you look at all those rate periods where the Fed went from hikes to then ultimately uh, last hike to first cut, the market went up thirteen percent, guys. And that would synchronize with all these pieces coming together on the macro side of it and all the work that Murphy's done talking about these relationships and everything else. But these turns, these secular turns take a very long time to play out. And that's what we got to sort of keep in mind. Investors aren't thinking about two, three, four years, right? They're thinking about where's your next trade? Where's the next sort of entry point, exit point and those kind of things. And with rates, I think you're going to see them come down. And that's going to get your small mid-cap growth stocks working. And again, I come back and I look at a couple of these other pieces here. And that's where I start wondering, hey, maybe this is already starting to happen with, you know, RSP doing this, the mid starting to improve, the Russell already pretty well beaten up. I think the groundwork is being laid. Hmm. So is it, I mean, from what you're saying here, uh, the Magnificent Seven's not going to be so magnificent. I mean, it's for many years, it's been, you know, so go the those big guns, so go the market. So are they, they going to hold steady or are they, is there going to just be a wicked rotation out of those and the little guys come? I mean, a lot of people hanging out in those stocks and oh, there's, there's no question, but quiz time, right? So take a look at the chart of, you know, NVIDIA in here, right? Left shoulder, head, right shoulder. And on the most recent price action, we couldn't get back above that that left shoulder in here. That is your basic definition of sort of a multi-month head and shoulders top. Mm. And if you think about where the neckline is in here, you're talking about 403, 409, somewhere in that vicinity. You break that neckline, uh, in here, and you're going to be looking at potentially a measured objective of $300. I think there's going to be profit taking in a lot of these magnificent seven stocks. And I think a lot of them just need to go sideways. And I think if the magnificent seven companies go sideways, I think that'll open up the opportunity for this market to hang in here. Okay. Number one, and number two, for the market to ultimately broaden out. Because if I look at Apple, I look at Microsoft, I look at some of these names, and they are marking time, not only on a uh, uh, absolute price basis, but on a relative basis, still strong, but again, going more sideways in here than, than what we've seen before. This is so such a bold, examples. bold call by Craig. I love it, actually, too. It's a contrarian call, basically looking at bearish patterns on the Magnificent Seven and potential bullish patterns on everything that's been beat up. I mean, think about just from a, you know, just overall perspective of, you know, the, I always say the market likes to punish the maximum amount of participants. Think about how much punishment there would be if the Magnificent Seven started selling off and then all the other stocks started picking it up and the market did broaden off. That would punish a lot of people. And it sets up not bad for seasonality here too, Craig. 
Like, I mean, we're coming into a historically stronger period for the markets here. So maybe there is a play to be, buy some of these beaten down value names. Well, I mean, think about something like an Inspire Medical. It's not like sleep apnea is going away and America is less fat, okay? I get it. The GLP-1s are, are helping with some of that, but it actually may make their, uh, their, uh, their, their addressable market bigger total addressable market bigger because some people can't do the surgery because they're too heavy. You got the same thing with orthopedics and other types of things. I think you got a lot of these healthcare names getting caught up right now as an example um, in sort of year end selling at this point in time or tax laws selling at this point in time. So I guess from my perspective, guys, what I would say is I think there's some opportunities here for a lot of these beaten up stocks that again, people just aren't thinking about. And from a trading perspective, they're so beaten up. I don't think you can you can crush them a lot further than where you're already at. We we gave this example with Pfizer the other day, and I mean Pfizer on Friday night did the news dump, the classic Friday night news dump, where they basically said nobody's ever getting a COVID shot again. I mean, obviously they didn't say that, but um, they were warning on all of that. The stock fell almost ten percent Friday night. Yet we come in Monday morning, it's only down three, and then it gets an upgrade, and the stock ends up closing green. So, I mean, just seller exhaustion all over the place in Pfizer, which is one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. I mean, tale of two markets here. I love the contrarian views you're giving here today, Craig. You know, it's just, again, I'm just reading the tea leaves and I'm trying to take the emotion out of this crazy geopolitical world that we live in right now and to sort of favor the, uh, the trend lines over the headlines at this point in time, guys. Trend lines over headlines. I like that. Craig, before I let you go, I mean, uh, you know, people have been listening over the years. Uh, I certainly remember, um, you know, during COVID and the stance that you took and uh, um, very, uh, very optimistic. I, I remember your uh, Carnival Cruise Line since come back down, it's had mm -hmm. some rallies. But I, I just wanted to ask you about the lead. I mean, just a little bit more detail. It, the Delta and these airlines and maybe the cruise lines or those looking, looking at value in, in stocks like that. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I go through and I look at my industry groups on all those, I think it's time to take profits in, in the, the cruise lines. It's time to take profits in uh, Delta airlines and all these others. They're all rolling over. They've got higher labor costs. If you think about it fundamentally, they got higher labor costs, higher fuel costs. And uh, you know, people are starting to feel pinched in the wallet and people are making choices and, the traveling binge seems to be sort of coming to an end post-COVID. It's time to take Craig profit. I, I can't believe that Carnival Cruise Lines and these others have been among the best performing names in the S&P 500 year to date. And that just doesn't make a lot, a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, the, the move started the year around $7, goes up to 19 It feels like a big pullback coming to 12 But when you really give a perspective, it's still up 80 or 90% this year. Correct. So, I mean, when when you give that perspective and you look out a little bit further than the last three months, some of these cruise lines are still up a long ways from those lows. Craig Johnson, Managing Director, Chief Market Technician over at Piper Sandler, giving us great content as usual on pre-market prep. Thanks, Craig. We'll, we'll be dialing you up again before the end of the year. Take care. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Craig. All right, great conversation there. We can expand on it, but how's the market looking here, Joel? Leaking, leaking, leaking. We just can't really well, catch a bid here. 
Uh, we're down near the lows of the session, but holding steady. Uh, down 2150, just holding off. So someone's got a little bit out there, 4380. Triple D, what are you seeing in this? Well, if, if Craig's, you know, you know, looking at NVIDIA and some of these other stocks with the head and shoulder patterns here and saying these stocks will lose the neckline, I mean, that's not going to be good for S&P. And again, we've seen this divergence where the IWM actually performs and the S&P does not. Yesterday was one of those days, Joel. Exactly. I mean, the IWM had a day yesterday. It was up over 1%. The S&P, I don't know if we closed red, but we were barely up if we didn't. So, I mean, you know, obviously had NVIDIA weighing on the indices yesterday. At one point in time, it was down almost $40 on that headline. It did bounce. It did come back. But now sellers have re-emerged and we're trying to take us back down to those lows once again. I mean, we know valuation is an issue for a lot of this, you know, and, and the Magnificent 7 altogether. That's the main issue. I like the low debt. But at the same time, if you start to see rates start to peak, come back down, if you see Craig Johnson, you know, predicting that we come down to 3.5% on long-term rates, cool. it's not going to be NVIDIA and Apple that benefit the most from that. It's going to be a lot of these other beaten down value names because they have been just crushed on rates where NVIDIA hasn't been crushed on rates at all. They haven't cared. So we know the debt. So that debt trade would reverse in that case. So again, keep your eye on the TLT. It matters. And we're, we're putting the cart before the horse here because the TLT is very perilously close to making new lows here once again. So, you know, long-term rates have not reversed here yet. You know, we've had a couple of days of hope and then they just get dashed. So I think it's hard to just, you know, turn around and get bullish any of this stuff if the TLT remains weak like this. So that's going to be my indicator. TLT starts getting back up to 87, 88, 89. It's going to be really time to start looking at stocks. But, you know, if that's making new lows or trying to make new lows, I'm sitting with a lot of cash. There's got to be a reversion in the main chain. I mean, Don't you somewhere. think? I Don't mean, you I... think? But it doesn't happen. I mean, this TLT, yeah. and again, the you know, it should there. maybe never have been, you know, up at 170, and we're talking 1.5% rates. So we're just correcting what never should have been. You know, we had rates just historically too low. And now we've moved into a period where, well, we're getting into normalization. So does that mean, you know, like there isn't going to be a reversion in the mean? I think eventually it's going to happen. I have a half size position in the TLT. I, I, I may add to it at one some point in time here. This is in the long-term portfolio, not in the trading account, because I don't usually like to buy stocks that, you know, are viciously trending down. But I'm a contrarian investor at heart. And I do buy when, you know, everybody's throwing everything out in my longer-term portfolio. But, I mean, I think bonds eventually, I believe in Craig Johnson. I'm with them. I'm with them 100%. I'm usually against Craig in a lot of cases because, you know, Craig, well, I'm, I'm usually against but I've been against him before. But I'm with them 100% on a lot of these calls here. I think rates could eventually start taking back down. I think value could pick up the slack. I think the Magnificent 7 might not be the Magnificent coming into the first quarter of 2024. The only thing that I don't see is rates coming down, at least in 24. I think that uh, they're going to save that ammo for maybe a new president or the same president we have, but I don't see that coming down unless we just get wrecked. And it the, needs well, to be Oh, yeah. Ugly. If the economy gets wrecked, then they it, start coming down. That's but the, the only thing that I would the, see them cutting rates because inflation is not back at 2%. The, the biggest issue here, though, Mitch, too, is that the Fed controls the short end, but they don't control the long, the long end. And what end, we have yeah. seen recently is the Fed has been pretty much done. I mean, they're one quarter and done, and they're talking like that. Yeah. But what they've lost is the long end. Like, the long end is adjusting and saying higher rates for longer. That is really what is getting priced in here is higher rates for longer by the long end, you know, going up and getting into the fives, yeah. you know, or peaking into the Whew. fives. 
Yep. You know, so so that's what's really happened here. And the Fed, uh, honestly, doesn't really control that. So that that's the the risk here for the Fed is that they keep rates, you know, and they keep this outlook so long that the bond traders are just like, you know what? You know, we are scared of this Fed, you know, what they've done here now. We think they're going to keep rates up for a prolonged period of time, and we're going to willing to pay for that. So by in the, in the case of selling bonds. So, I mean, maybe the commentary changes. They say, no, it's not higher rates for longer, and that would help the long end. But right now, the long end is saying higher rates for a long time, like like keeping up here, not saying going higher, but these rates Stay, yeah, staying yeah. up here yeah. for a longer period of time. That's yep. what I, the bonds are saying. Let's get to the regional bank action. Five regional banks reports coming in here. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give misses or beats on them. We'll take a look. We can talk about the KRE and that action there. Citizen Financial Group here, they missed on EPS and missed on sales. Then you can go to First Horizon. This is going to be a beat on EPS and a miss on sales. Then on U.S. Bank Corp, they beat their estimate on EPS and missing on sales here. MNT Bank, a bank that I'm really looking into right now, deep diving into. EPS, $4.05 beat. Also the $3.94 estimate. So they beat on EPS and also beat on sales. And then Ally Financials. Uh, did beat on uh, EPS and also another miss on sales here. So it looks like four out of the five miss there on sales. Um, so just to kind of note that uh, that's kind of something that I see in all of them. Lots to unpackage here. Um, I, I, I think the banks have been hit really hard and you could have some seller exhaustion, some dead cat bounces in a few. I know USB had one yesterday. I mean, there's the potential for some of these stocks to, you know, chop around and bounce around. But, you know, overall here, it's just they've been value traps for the better part of 20 years, not just 20 weeks or 20 months. 20 years the banks have underperformed and they've never come back besides jp morgan i always say besides jp morgan a lot of these banks have never gotten close to where they were prior to the financial crisis which is dilution a lot of them never came back the banks have been terrible investments for a very long time it's why i own very few banks in my long-term portfolio although i do have some exposure through the IWM, through Craig's point, is the financials arcs. You know, you have exposure when you're long that. You also have a lot of other companies in there too. But I don't have a lot of direct bank exposure because the banks have just been underperforming assets. People are sitting in there, 3% dividends, you know, but the stocks have just not performed. I mean, Citigroup, Joel, just give some perspective. I know we moved away from the regionals, but it all encompasses the same thing. I mean, go on that long-term chart, and maybe you can't go out far enough on, on your charts here. But if you go out to like 2008 and blow it up here, just give perspective because people say, oh, yeah, I invest in banks and they work in the long run. There's your long run banks. That's what it looks like. Citigroup, that is the truth. 500 or 550 because the reverse splits. I like going back to that. Bank America's come back a little bit better than that city chart. AIG, throw that one up there. Oh, I'm just trying to give you perspective because them. people believe that all stocks come back eventually. And if I hold on long enough, I get my money back. You are never getting your money back in AIG. You are never. And you know when you're not getting your money back is when the dilution starts. The dilution starts, it kills value. AMC, sorry folks, same thing. Bring up the AMC chart. Completely different industry. But what I'm giving here is dilution. When you start seeing them issue shares, crazy amounts of shares, that's your time to go. You do not want to be in companies that dilute their stock because mm -hmm. the stock prices typically never 
come back. If you see massive dilution in the case of City, it was huge dilution. In the case of AIG, it was a huge dilution. In the case of AMC, huge dilution. Those stocks typically never come back. So long-term investors, when your company is diluting your stock and it's not for growth, but for survival, that is the reason to sell. All right, it's 8.59 here, so we'll start to wrap up here. And yeah, AMC's been struggling, so has GME. It's already down to 14. I think that's Where's going GME? Right back to that's where it was. has been a while, was. too. I mean, these stories um, are over, folks. Yeah, I'm sorry over. to be this, the bearer of That's just how it is. Oh, Ryan here. Cohn took over the company. Oh, Ryan! And no, now Ryan. he's being investigated by the SEC for his sales on Bed Bath & Beyond, which obviously went to, you know, not zero, but went bankrupt, so... I mean, all of these stories, you know, to the moon and stuff, it just didn't work out. And, you know, I feel bad for all the retail traders who were in there. I got the movement, you know, I get it, you know, and I, and obviously, you know, there were some good times and some people made some money in there. But if you held on long enough, fundamentals do eventually matter. Last wrap up, Dennis, what are you seeing in this market today? What are you going to be looking at? What's driving the bus today? Um, the bus is all over the place here today. So all over the road. I think you've got tech. NVIDIA is still driving the bus here today. It's down another $8. They did do a, a slight update or something last night on you know that report about the chips and, and the exports. Um, it's down 8 bucks here. It's going to challenge. It looks like the 424 low from yesterday. You hope that holds. That's a key level. You do not want to see that 424 go. I mean, it, it, I don't like the head and shoulders. I don't like that. I think you've got to go. With just, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of chop. I think we stick with the same theory that we're not going straight down. We're not going straight up. We're going to chop around. So don't be short in stocks when they're down 7, 8% thinking they're going down 10. And I don't be buying stocks when they're up 7 or 8% thinking they're going up 10. Chasing has not worked for the last little while. It's a contrarian market. Buying dips, shorting rips has been the way to prosperity in 2023, at least in the back half. Hanging out near the lows of the pre-market session. So uh, I don't know if we're going to get the kind of wicked rebound that we did get yesterday. Uh, looking at the lows from yesterday, pretty key here at 65.75. So seems like it's thickening up a little bit here um, on the bid side as we start to come down 22 and a half handles. So I'll be seeing if we can hold uh, that Tuesday's low, uh, which is uh, – right near a weekly level on a rebound here. We know things are thin in the 80 and 90 handle, just the way it traded yesterday. So uh, if we could put a short-term bottom in, whatever, you know, get that little sympathetic 940 rally, I'd look at, uh, see what happens at mid-range on the session. That's it for me. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Pre-Market Prep. I'll get Joel Condon out of here. Definitely keep up with him on the closing print. Dennis Dick, of course, Triple D Trader. You guys can always catch him on Twitter. And I do want to tell you guys about our AI event that will be coming on Thursday. So just going to go ahead and tell you guys this is definitely an event that you guys do not want to miss out on. This is going to be on Thursday, October 19th, tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll be having Amazon. We'll be having Qualcomm. We'll have MasterCard, Verizon, big companies. You don't want to miss out. I'll see you guys there. Don't miss it. And like always, smash the like. Coming up next, you guys got live trading. We're going to get after it. Joel, Mitch, what do you got for us? I hope I hope Dennis is still listening. Dennis, are you still there? Or uh, he he hopped. He hopped quick, man. He, he had some oh, trading man. action to get to. Yes, 
I don't know if you've ever been on with them before, but hmm. I, I had what to talk to the commander-in-chief of the markets coming on tomorrow. None other than Fari Hamzy of Hamzy. Fari! <laughs> yeah. You'll be sorry if you don't listen to Fari. So yeah. that's what we got uh, going on tomorrow. I just wanted to tell. I hope Triple D, I hope you're listening there. Uh, but uh, that's it, folks. I'm going to go talk on uh, cannabis and uh, beverages uh, with um, Gerald Pascarelli over there at Wedbush Securities. So everyone, have a good day. All right, Joel's hopping in. I do want to tell you guys about a brand new show that we have today. Uh, we will be releasing Trade to Black podcast, our brand new cannabis show uh, brought to you guys by the guys at the Dales Report. So if you guys want to check out some new personalities on Benzinga today, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern after Start Swing Trade, I will get you guys over to a really interesting podcast. They cover cannabis. They cover cryptocurrency. Uh, they also cover psychedelics, so you don't want to miss those areas if you're looking to understand them, looking for investment opportunities, or just looking to have a good time. I'll tell you one thing. These guys have a great time on screen, great personalities. You don't want to miss that. That's going to come to you later today, 4, 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Don't miss it right here, of course, on Benzinga. Now to get you guys over to live trading action, that's coming up next. And don't miss it. We have a monster giveaway for you guys on live trading. We're doing a big giveaway right now with Trade the Pool. If you want to check that out, come over. You guys could be winning a whole account here. So uh, if you guys want to go ahead and check that out, that's coming up next. And like always, we did mention here the book club here. I do want to throw in here, guys. Uh, the book club link there. If you guys want to join the book club, you guys heard me mention about the book that we're going through right now on intermarket analysis. So check that out, guys. We have over 650 members on the book club. I'm going to continue growing right here on Benzinga, of course. Time to get to some live trading action.